this is Karis Ryan and welcome to Teach Me in 20. Each week I'll release a new podcast where I get to speak with awesome people who have something new to teach me that I know nothing about. If, like me, you're naturally curious about everything, this could be the podcast for you. So come along for the ride. It'll only cost you 20 minutes. Hey guys, today we are joined by Andrea McCulloch. She is one of WA's most consistently performing coaches at a state and national level. She was a Premier Strip coach in 2015 and she's currently the head coach of the Western Raw in the WANL. Andrea, we're pleased to have you here today. Thank you so much. It's a pleasure to be here. So one thing, I've been able to see a few of your matches and I'm really interested in leadership and especially women mentors and coaches. And in seeing a couple of your games, you're just so chilled. It's, <laughs> it's sitting back. You're not like those coaches that are, you know, yelling and really into the match. You're just yes. sitting back, arms folded most of the time, <laughs> watching the, go, the game go by. <laughs> are you like that in, you know, is that your personality? Are you like that in everyday life? Or? Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think um, sometimes it's a bit of bluff. Um, <laughs> if I look calm and feel calm, it makes the players think, oh, it's okay. It doesn't matter what's happening. Andrea's calm. It's fine. But no, I think for the most part, that is my personality. I am a fairly calm and chilled type of person. Um, I'm not someone that yells at my players um, or gets really animated. Um, I'm more of one of those coaches that um, sort of gives quiet feedback to my players and both at trainings and at games. And um, I've always really admired coaches like Jill McIntosh, um, Stacey Marinkovic, um, who are those more sort of calm coaches who um, just do everything quietly and calmly. And I think it just um, instills in the players that it's okay we're doing okay, even when things maybe aren't going okay. <laughs> right. I was going to say, is that have you found that's more an effective way of getting through? Yeah, absolutely. I think sometimes um, I always found when I was coming up through the junior ranks that if um, my coach was panicking and getting really animated, that sort of made me mm. a little bit panicky and like, oh gosh, things aren't going okay. What's going on? And then you sort of start to get a bit worked up yourself. So I always um, really liked it when my coaches were calm and I was like, oh yeah, we've got this, you know, the, the coach is confident in our abilities and and so forth so I think I've just sort of modeled myself that on those. yeah <laughs> well another thing I noticed as well is it's your whole coaching team getting involved so often it's not yep. even really you um, on game days giving them a final word it's your yep. manager have, is that on purpose as well? So yeah. it's not just one person involved? Yeah, I'm really lucky at Western Royal. We've got some excellent, we've got an excellent coaching staff and that's something that we've worked really hard is to, to build um, wonderful coaches around us so that we don't just have one head coach that's sort of responsible, right. um, that the players have a multitude of different coaches that they can go to and get feedback from. So I'm really lucky with our league team. We've got Dylan McPherson and Stu Dent who yep. um, are actually two of our men's players as well. So... Um, they've got both the playing experience and the coaching experience behind them. So they can come um, and provide feedback to the players from both perspectives as well, which I think is really important. Yeah. Um, and we're all on the same page. So um, particularly Dylan and I um, have a lot of conversations during the week about what we want and things that we're trying to achieve with the players. Are they heated um, or you guys are both on the same line? <laughs> we're on the same page most, most of the time. Okay. <laughs> 
a time to time where <laughs> uh, we disagree, but um, I'm really confident that um, that because we we talk so much, we're on the same page in front of the players, and I think that's really important. Is that you know we're delivering the same message, so I'm confident that my coaching team around me can deliver the same message that I will too. Yeah, absolutely. You mentioned Dylan plays. You also were a player yourself. A long time ago. <laughs> <laughs> how do you find that transitioning from a player to a coach or how did you find it? Um, well, it was a bit different for me in some respects. Um, I actually suffered uh, a very bad ankle injury and I was out of the game for about 18 months where I couldn't play because I had to have um, some surgery and so forth. Gosh. So um, that's actually how I got involved in in serious coaching. I'd sort of coached, you know, club teams on a Saturday um, every now and then before then. But um, through that, I started to do my accreditation process during that year off. Um, And it was through that process that I actually sort of realised how much I loved coaching. And even though I sort of came back to playing at lower levels, I never got to the um, top levels again because I just pursued the coaching aspect anyway. So I guess for me, it was a really easy transition because I was forced to have time away from playing anyway. So... um, I guess for me it was pretty easy, whereas other people maybe not so much. <laughs> Did you think? Do you think it helps having played? Absolutely. And that with the, yeah, you know, absolutely. Now? I mean, I think you know, especially um, it just gives you that background that you know what it's like as a player. Yeah. Um, Nervy really, grand finals. Exactly yep. right. Yeah, and so you can appreciate what they're feeling at the same time, um, and so I think that that gives you some good background knowledge of well, this is how they're feeling, so I've got to address that in my pregame or. Yeah. Or during the game. It's weird though, isn't it? Because I remember when I went into coaching, suddenly you go from just hitting, you know, with tennis yep. to then, oh, I actually have to watch and assess what needs to be improved. Yes. It's not just, you know, <laughs> That's for right. the fun of it. And it's not just about me. Yeah. <laughs> there's seven other players in my, or there's seven players in my team I've got to worry about. Plus there's seven other players in the opposition team that I've <laughs> got to be looking at. So there's a lot going on that you suddenly go look at as a coach and, um, and so forth. But um, I really love that. I've got one of those analytical sort of of background sort of brains that just loves to analyze things so I suppose for me um, I really love that aspect of the game and looking at what other players are doing and so then coming up with things to combat what they're doing out there against us. Yeah what do you think was probably the biggest challenge going from playing to coaching? Uh, Lack of control. (laughs) Yeah. I'm a bit of a control freak. (laughs) I'll admit it. Um, I would not pick that though. As I said, you're so chilled. Just laid back. Yeah. Yeah. So um, I am a a bit of a control freak in that regard. So I guess the, the most difficult thing for me was that as much as I can tell the players or give the players guidance, yep. I can't do it <laughs> and I have to rely on someone else. Yeah. <laughs> so, but I'm really lucky with the team that I've got. Um, they're a great bunch um, and they're players that are willing to take on board feedback and try different things. So I'm lucky in that respect. They are a great bunch of girls. Yeah. I really wanted to ask as well, I've done a bit of reading online and a lot of male coaches say they're PE coaches going into a co-ed school for the first time and having to coach girls yeah they're really unsure and wanting advice on how to get through to girls because they are so different yes in your experience what's been a lesson you learnt, you've learned I guess or something you've noticed about coaching girls and the way they respond um 
I think you've really got to get on the same page as them. So um, get what makes them tick as a player. So I think it's really important to understand what motivates them. Yep. And I think once you understand that motivation, it's really easy then to, you know, sort of address and give them the right feedback to then, you know, get them to do the right thing. So um, the biggest thing that I've learned is to understand your players or understand the um, students that you're coaching, I think would be the biggest thing. And once you've got that understanding, then I think it's it's easy to sort of click with them. Yeah. And I mean, does that involve, because you've entered clubs and having to rebuild before. Yeah. Does that involve, you know, sitting down? I mean, yes, you tell us. Yeah. Well, how, yeah does, how do absolutely. you go about that? Um, I think it um, it's about really listening is the, the biggest and important thing. Um, and so I quite often, um, when I've sort of taken on new teams or whatever, um, I'll quite often meet with the senior players um, right. and get some feedback and um, ha- just have a general chat with them about where they're coming from, what they're wanting to achieve um, and just um, general feedback on how they like to do things, what's worked in the past, what hasn't worked. Um, and then um, it doesn't mean that I change necessarily the way I do things, but it's really good to have that feedback to then sort of mould the way that you then do things with them. So, um, you know, you can change the way you do things. I'm a big believer that, you know, um, it's all about um, sort of taking on board all of the feedback that you can get, but still doing it your own way as well. So, um, and that way the players know that you're listening to them. And I think that's really important is to have their respect. And I think once you've got that respect, then it's easy to, you know, go forward with a rebuild and so forth. And I think also it's not just about the players as well, but it's about having the ear of the board as well. And again, at Western Roar, I'm really lucky that we've got a great board that's willing to try different things. It's willing to listen to feedback that they're given and so forth. And um, they're really supportive of us as, as coaches and players, which is great. Yeah, so it's fantastic. It helps. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. With that sort of idea of change as well, obviously netball, it's a changing game as well. They're trying to make Very, it faster with yes. Fast Five. <laughs> Similar things has happened with tennis. I guess it's that yep. changing generation. They want things now and yes. don't want to be watching long matches. <laughs> as a coach, how do you as well sort of evolve with, I guess you've got a changing generation, you've yep. got younger players coming up that respond differently to maybe the older ones. Yep. And, so. and a changing game as well. Yeah, I think with the changing game, um, it's you're right. It is becoming faster. Um, you know, they're even at um, we saw at A and L level this year that they brought in the rolling subs, which they've had at Fast Five now previously. Okay. So they've brought that into A and L. So whether they'll bring that into Suncorp will be interesting in in the coming years, and then whether that will then filter down to us at Wannell. Um, that will be interesting and certainly a new challenge to um, yeah, absolutely. Uh, deal with. <laughs> um, but, yeah, I think um, in terms of the players, it's definitely a different generation to some years ago when I first started coaching. Um, and there's a definite um, need for a lot more, probably a lot more feedback and a lot more um, interaction with the players. I think um, there's more of a conversation these days rather than a, I'm going to tell you to do this and that's okay. the end of it. Um, they want to know why. Yeah, yep. absolutely. There's <laughs> <laughs> always questions, which is great. And I think that actually helps them buy into the process as well because if they know that they understand it and if they think that they've got um, a place in it as well, then I think that actually adds to the team um, being successful. Yep. With that 
as well, being all female team netball. Yes. That in itself poses its challenges. <laughs> yes, it does. <laughs> How do you deal with those differences? Because girls, I mean, we're known to be, you know, bitchy sometimes. Yep. And as much as you want that team camaraderie, yep. it's going to happen. Yeah, absolutely. And I've been involved in teams in the past where there's definitely been that competition between the players of, you know, they play the same position. They all want to be on court. Mm-hmm. Um, and look, it's. You know, it's it's not necessarily a bad thing to have competition within the team um, and you want all of your players to want to be on court. So that is a good thing, but it's the level of where it's at, I suppose, that can be the problem where it turns from being a healthy competition to an unhealthy mm-hmm. um, issue within the team. So um, it's just, again, it's, it's really about managing expectations right at the very start of the season. Um, and I've always been very careful as a coach. I never provide... Um, any guarantees in terms of court time or position playing and things like that. I'm um, someone that will never guarantee, even my senior players, I won't guarantee um, anything to because I think that's just fraught with danger as the season goes on and trying to commit to that kind of thing. So um, all of the players know that they have to earn their spot out there Um, and I think that helps because it assists the younger and um, more upcoming players in in understanding that well I've got just as much of an opportunity to get on court as the more mature players that have been here for a while, um, but I have to do these things that you know the coaches are telling me I need to work on, and so it's about you know making sure that you're always open, you have that communication with your players of this is what we're working on, this is why you're not getting on court, or this is why you are getting on court, this is what you're doing well, this is what you need to work on. So I think um, communication is the biggest thing that's really important these days in in, yeah. in that, um, and I think culture is really important. Um, that's something that we've really placed a lot of emphasis on it previously Perth Lions and now Western Raw, um, in the last probably three years or so, we've really focused very hard on improving our culture and making sure that we've got a really strong united club culture, not just team, but also club with all of, all of our teams. Um, and we've had the assistance of Jodie Maguire, who's been excellent in facilitating that and making sure that we sort of stick in line with our club values and so forth. So I think that's really important in managing, you know, those issues with the the um, players that can get out of hand if, if not managed properly. Yeah. I guess with that as well, positioning... That's just one of the challenges. Yes. Could you tell us any other sort of problems, not problems, but just difficulties you have faced over the years, something that sticks out, um, a more reoccurring thing? Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest issue is the, you know, people wanting to be on court. Mm-hmm. Um, that That's definitely one of the biggest issues. Um, another thing is probably injuries and having to deal with injuries. Um, and that can be a really emotional thing. We've um, had a few ACL injuries at the club oh, over the last few years. My mum did that. Yeah, and it's it's devastating. Yeah. Um, it really is. And so I think that's probably been one of my biggest challenges is um, is helping the players through that and come back into the sport if they want to or just helping them rehab and then go and do whatever they want to do if they never ever want to see a netball court again, which is understandable. So what do you say to someone? <laughs> They've just lo- – the whole season's now shattered. Yep. What do you say to a girl <laughs> in that position? It's really hard um, and each play is different. Um, I think it's about understanding where they're at and and telling and, and understanding that life sucks. Yeah. <laughs> it really does. And giving them a hug and telling them that, yep, it's going to be tough and rather than sugarcoating it and going, oh, it's all going to be okay, mm. 
I think they need that understanding of, you know, Andrea understands that, you know, I'm gutted at the moment and I think it's good for them to know that we're gutted for them as well because, you know, it's devastating. They've worked so hard, you know, you've seen, you know, one particular player, Keely, we lost, you know, sort of shortly before the season started um, and she's done an ACL previously. Was that uh, pre-season training? She injured herself? Yeah, and that was devastating because, you know, you've seen her go through it once She's gotten back. She was excellent. She's probably the fittest I'd ever seen her. She was in excellent form. Um, And then she does it several weeks before the season starts. Oh, it's heartbreaking. Um, And so, yeah, it is devastating, you know, and you want to cry with them, to be honest. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think that's that's probably been one of the toughest things is dealing with that. And, And it's just about then, you know, sort of once, you know, you get over that initial hurdle is then helping them to be strong and to keep going when even they don't want to keep going, you know, and um, and just being there for them really is the most important thing. Yeah. What about as well, um, like losing a grand final? Or yeah, it hurts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, look, and we played Sharks last year in the grand final, lost by three, so uh, so close. Sometimes you'd prefer to lose by 30 because then you know yep. you're never in it. A loss is a loss, yeah. <laughs> Um, but to lose by three, you know, it was so close. You almost had it. Um, it hurts. Um, yeah, it's devastating because you know how much, um, it's devastating as a coach, but it's more devastating for the players Like in terms of, I know how upset they are because they have worked so hard, um, for, you know, nine months of mm. the year, um, to come so close and to fail. So yeah, it's, it's really hard. And I must admit after last year, um, it was probably a good two months before I could go back and watch the grief, the grand final again to uh, actually see what yep. <laughs> what we needed to improve on. Uh, it was a little bit touchy for a while there. <laughs> yeah, block it out as long as possible. Um, but um, yeah, so that that's definitely hard. But I I think it's more hard. Like I feel for the players more than I do for myself in that instance because I know how hard they've worked and yep. you know they're pretty devastated when they come so close to their glory. Yeah. yeah. With uh, you've coached at league reserve level. Yep. What's one thing you see as uh, needed and advantageous to transition from juniors to that top elite senior level? Yeah, um, definitely good skills, and I think uh, we underestimate just how important grassroots netball is for developing those initial really good skills. Yeah. Um, getting the basics right. Getting the basics yep. right. Being able to do an outside turn. Being able to do a shoulder pass. So often you see players that come in and try or, you know, sort of when they're quite young and they can't do those basic things and then there's a big difference between them and the players that can. Um, so I think that's certainly something that's really important is, is you know, that grassroots level of netball and teaching them the basics and so forth. Um, but then really, you know, sort of once they get into the lower levels of, you know, at the 20s levels of one or to then get further to league, it's really about wanting it, to be honest, and determination is really important um, because if you don't want it enough, you're not going to work hard for it. That so, hunger. yep, that hunger is really important. So you can have the best skills in the world, but if you don't want it enough, you're never actually going to make it at that level. So I think it's about those players that really, really want it and they're willing to go out and... You know, sort of, you know, as if you're a goal shooter, you're willing to go out and shoot 200 goals a day by yourself in yep. the rain. <laughs> yep. <laughs> you know, um, in your backyard. It's those kind of players that will make it. I think I can definitely uh, relate to that. I've seen so many talented athletes over the years. Yeah. Um, but it's just those that are willing to put in the hard work, yes. stay back after training, yep, after a match. Right. Yep. 
And the, the ones that are willing to seek the feedback, you know, sort of and to take it upon themselves to, you know, ask for extra training or ask for an extra program, um, those are the kind of players that are going to make it at the next level. Yeah. And what about, um, I guess, the changing game of netball? Yeah. Do you see that as at the grassroots level, the, you talked about those basics. Yeah. Those basics sort of changing or them having to adapt a different style of teaching I th- there? I think it's interesting because back back when now day, <laughs> <laughs> um, you know, they didn't uh, – it was a bit different. You know, they didn't allow us to step. We didn't have the shortened goalposts. And so even though we were little, we still had to abide by all the rules. Yeah. Whereas these days they've got the net set go um, – Program, uh, program yeah. which is an excellent program and is getting so many kids involved, um, but they allow them to take an extra step or so. Um, they, you know, they drop the nets down, um, the goalposts down for them, and so forth to make it a bit easier. And I think almost um, that that's almost teaching bad habits in some respects. Probably not the goalposts being dropped down. That's probably not the issue, but the stepping and so forth. You know, I think. Probably as a coach, I'm seeing a lot more stepping in our game than really? what they used to be. Sort of, you know, when they're starting to come into the program and really having to focus on footwork and so forth. Um, and I don't know whether that's because, you know, sort of at the lower levels, they kind of get away with it a little bit. And so it becomes a bit more of a habit than perhaps what it should. That's um, annoying for you, having to stamp out <laughs> bad habits. That's right. They all have it, trust me. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, yeah, I guess in some ways I'm a bit more of a traditionalist. I love I love the game of netball as it is. And, um, you know, as much as the Fast Five is really exciting and a great format and I really enjoy watching it, I love the traditional game um, of, you know, sort of it's it's a fast game in itself as it is anyway mm-hmm. um, and, and so forth. So I think it would be a shame if we change it completely. Um, but I think it's great to have Fast Five as well. I think it's great to have the two, two types um, running, you know, as different competitions. Yeah bit for uh, something for everyone. Absolutely. <laughs> I also wanted to ask, you mentioned when the girls go in for, um, audi- not an audition, gosh, trials, um, trials. <laughs> actors it here. It is a bit of an audition really. <laughs> what age are they going into that? And also do you see it as um, just as an example, sort of a lot of people think if you haven't made it in tennis by 21, 22 then just, you know, stop. But the average age of, you know, the women in the top 100 is around 26, 27. Yeah. How does that fare against netball as well? Yeah, I think any any person of any age can get into it if they are determined enough to put in the hard work. Um, we've certainly have had players that have come in later that have come in from other sports like basketball or um, other sports that have decided to give netball a go. And um, in some respects, they probably are a little bit unorthodox, which gives them something special because no one sort of knows what to expect from them. <laughs> so um, that gives them a bit of an edge anyway. So they don't even know what they're doing. Really. They don't. I certainly don't know what they're doing. (laughs) So how does the opposition know what they're doing? Um, So I would encourage any um, levels. And I think that you can see that from, you know, someone like Lisa Millman who's, who's, you know, just played her 300th game in the competition. You know, she's in her 30s and she's still playing just as well as, you know, some of the youngsters are playing. So I think, you know, again, if you've got that drive and that determination to put in the hard work and to keep yourself fit and, um, then there's no reason why someone at an, an older age can't play at that top level still. Um, in terms of trials and that at um, 
Raw, we have um, an underlying development program, which we call our Pride Program. Great name. Um, <laughs> <Gosh>. <laughs> Marketing did well there. <laughs> that's right. um, and so that's for more youngsters that are coming through that we um, ideas, ideas being talented players um, and that we think that we want to work with and give a bit of development to that could potentially then come into our 20s team in the okay. next couple of years. So um, the youngest um, person that trialled for that this year was 13. So okay, wow. quite young. Yeah, um, that would have been daunting for her. Absolutely, oh. yeah. And there's a big difference, especially now that it's gone from 18s to 20s, um, there's a big difference in, in that age group. Just development, so, yeah. Wow. Yeah, that's right. So um, the youngest player that we've got in our Pride program is 14 currently. Okay. Um, and um, she's a really talented little player and is doing really well. She was, um, she's was she been part of our program previously. So, um, yeah, we're just age really isn't a factor for us. It's about identifying who we think has got talent and who we think that has got the right attitude that we can work with in, uh, in bringing through our program. Yeah, and then being amongst especially your senior players can only benefit. Absolutely. They're unreal. Yeah, absolutely. And that's why we encourage our younger players to get involved in, you know, sort of listening to what the older players have. And we've got some really great players like Tess Kransberg, Lyndall Road, Maddie Schultz, who have been around the system um, for a few years now. And they've just got so much to give back to those younger players. And the younger players can learn so much from them just, you know, at trainings. If if I'm uh, talking to another player and giving feedback, those older players will give feedback to some of the other oh, players great. that are around as well. So um, we're a bit of a sort of team really. Yeah. <laughs> in terms Jack of, of all trades. Yeah. <laughs> That's right. So um, it's really good for the younger players to learn off them, you know, sort of and and also to be challenged at trainings, you know, by these older players. I mean, you know, Lyndall Rhodes probably been the best centre court player in, in the competition for a few years now. So to be able to play against her at training week in, week out, I mean, that's just, just that's a learning experience that you just can't buy. Yeah, so, absolutely. Yeah, Even though great. if you're getting thrashed. By her, exactly. a good person it's to get still, beaten by. That's right. Maybe next time you won't get quite as yeah. thrashed. <laughs> Andrea, thank you so much for joining us no and giving problem. us more of an insight into women in sport and leadership. That's right. Thank you so much for having me. It's been great. See you guys. Bye. Thanks for listening. I hope you enjoyed that episode of Teach Me in 20. If you did, and if you even just learned one thing, make sure you subscribe so each week you can learn something new with me. Bye.